You're listening to episode 33 of the Mad Chatters podcast, May 13th, 2015. Most everyone's mad here. <laughs> Welcome back to the Mad Chatters podcast, your very important date, with the happenings at Walt Disney World and around the Disney universe. Matt, are you laughing at the way I said that? Yeah, (laughs) just a little bit. (laughs) Welcome back. I like to be emphatic and enthusiastic when I start a new show. Yeah. Wait, are we we allowed to talk before we're introduced? Oh. (gasps) I thought that was... That was a rewind, rewind sound effect. Anyway, my name is Derek, and I'm joined by my fellow host today, Matthew. Howdy. And Jeremy. Don't pick the prickly pear by the paw. When you pick a pear, try to use the claw. And that is a great tease for today's show, when we will be talking about the films of the 1960s and where you can find those in the parks. But before we get to that, I've got a piece of news that will make you guys feel really old. Do you want to hear it? Sure. (laughs) Okay. I knew you would. I was feeling pretty good today. Go ahead and ruin it. Okay. So that episode of Full House we talk about all the time where they go to Disney World. The title of the episode is called The House Beats the Mouse. First off, it was two episodes. You're right. You're right. The first of the two episodes aired this week, 22 years ago. Oh, my. (laughs) Yeah. And, of course, the second part aired the week after. But we're right around that time, so I I love that. Every time that episode comes on, I'm like, it's the Disney World episode. (laughs) I always think of that episode when I'm in Germany by the fountain. Do they play it? Do they play it in like four hour segments on on like Nick at Night or something nowadays? Maybe. I don't know. For like Frasier on Hallmark Channel, they play like three hour segments and so it goes through like every season in like two weeks. (laughs) You get the cycle. But on Frasier and on, Golden Girls too. Yeah, do they edit Frasier like and to make it fit on Hallmark like they do Golden Girls? Have you noticed? You that? can tell that the little last segment of Frasier that you know, the music's playing over like a scene while the credits are rolling. It's like sped up, so it's like they're moving around really quickly. <laughs> yeah, Golden it, Girls is is annoying because as they go to commercial, it's like the music starts playing while they're still talking. It's like no, 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 no. Yeah, it's <laughs> like they cut it weird, and like they insert the audience laughing, even though it's not a joke. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they need to cut to commercial or whatever. Yeah. Back, know. back to uh, now that we've gotten completely off topic. <laughs> are we Golden recording? Girls are never off topic. <laughs> let's get back to the Disney parks, and let's talk about a little bit of news that has happened this week. Honestly, not a lot of news happened this week, but something very, very big happened, especially if you're a Disneyland fan, happened this past Saturday, May 9th. And we've mentioned before the Hatbox Ghost and how after decades they announced that it's finally coming back. And it did indeed this Saturday. And based on the pictures and videos I saw, it works this time. Is that what you guys found to be true? Yeah, I was really... I did not watch the videos or anything. Oh, I was really... I was really pumped about it. I, it was Saturday morning that they uh, opened it. And, of course, being on the East Coast, it was nice not having to get up early and try and catch it. It was at noon <laughs> at our time. And so uh, lots of people came out to see it as it is kind of a, a historical thing, kind of a, a great throwback, especially Haunted Mansion, which is such a classic attraction and so much uh, history and attachment to it. So a lot of people were there uh, who were park fans 
And uh, I thought the videos looked great. I can't wait to see it in person. Me too. I really hope they keep... We'll be there, of course, during the holiday overlay. And yeah. I really hope they keep it. Just because they've amped it up so much that I feel like maybe this year they won't do a holiday overlay or they'll somehow incorporate it into the holiday overlay. I don't know. I would just love mm. to see it while we're there. I think it'd be cool. It's very historic. It is kind of odd that they would wait to put it in in May and the holiday overlay starts... I mean, when do they close the mansion for that? End of August? It's usually Labor Day weekend. Okay, so there's only like three months there yeah. of having it in. And if that's for the 60th, it, I don't know, maybe they won't overlay this year. Yeah, part of me want, part of me says they'll they'll want to keep it the whole year. But how many people will be upset if they don't overlay it? I think more I people know. will be upset that they do and they miss the Hatbox Goats than those who would miss the overlay this year. No. Really? You don't think like the hardcore fans be... like us would rise maybe. up more so than... I'm really honestly not that jacked about it. Was that a pun for the Nightmare Before Christmas? <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, I, I mean, I, I, I like the idea. It's not really like, ooh, the Hatbox Ghost. Yeah. Well, I would like to see it anyway. I just think anything that can get us back to or keep us in touch with the roots and the history and the heritage. Oh, yeah. Very historical. I mean, as long as it doesn't look like Eddie Murphy or Ryan Gosling, then <laughs> that's okay with me. <laughs> no, that is the Nightmare Before Christmas overlay right there. You hey yo. <laughs> <laughs> was that Ryan Gosling? No, that was your that was your your zinger right there. That's a synonym for dance. Oh, okay. Try to keep up. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and kick off this podcast by doing a bit of eating around the world. Matt, why don't you tell us what, what restaurant we're headed to today? Today we'll be going to Walt Disney World uh, Swan and eating at... I'm just picking. I was, <laughs> I was like, I ain't never been there. <laughs> Saw the panic in your eyes. Uh, we'll be going to beautiful Mexico at Epcot, the World Showcase Lagoon, and venturing inside the Aztec Pyramid to review, talk about the wonderful restaurant San Angel Inn, which has been there since uh, the pavilion opened. And I think Mexico was obviously an original pavilion to World Showcase. And uh, we've talked about this fairly recently. When did we talk about Mexico? On the good, the bad, the ugly. Two yes, weeks ago. Two weeks Epcot. Ago. Future World, West, East, whichever side. Um, and, of course, you go into the pyramid. It looks like you're outside in, like, a Mexican marketplace. And as you come to the end of the marketplace, just to where the water is for the uh, Grand Fiesta Tour, um, and you see the Aztec Pyramid in the distance and the, uh, the volcano in the distance, there's a little restaurant that sits right there on the water, candlelit, very romantic, and uh, very nice. And that's the San Angelian. So we all ate here our, um, our first time there, correct? I think so. Have you all eaten there since? Yes. Yes, I have been there with Derek again, and David, correct? Yes. And then I've been there at least once, maybe twice, with uh, other friends as well. Uh, do you remember much about the food the first time, <laughs> 2007? The only thing I remember, I mean, besides the chips and salsa, about the first time I went was getting yuca, which was, you uh -huh. know, basically like sweet plantains. 
Which I love. I love yuca. Yuca's like potatoes. Yeah, yuca's like a potato. It's not really sweet. Oh. Well, then maybe it came with a sweet plantain. Maybe. I'm pretty Probably sure what I plantains. had was that sweet plantain taste. But I, I seem to remember that was the first place where I was like, yuca? What's yuca? Okay, never mind. Maybe I'm getting my two experiences mixed up. Then it must have been a sweet plantain. <laughs> I thought they were the same. That's funny. I remember that, that first time we were on the original dining plan. And so you, everyone got an individual appetizer oh, and yeah. an entree and a dessert. And I, I remember that, but I don't remember what I ordered. Um, wow, that's a lot of food. My most recent time here uh, to Sun and Hell was in January, I think. And I went with um, Sabrina and Justin, listeners. Well, one of them's a listener from my church here and their son, Jarrett. We went on a Monday. And um, this time I was going cheap. And I just ordered an appetizer of the like the tostadas, I think. And I got three little tostadas. And the one had chicken, one had beef, and one had like pork on it, carnitas or something. Um, and it was okay. Uh, that, that's been my experience with this restaurant. It's been, the, the atmosphere is wonderful, and it's worth it just to go there once and be, be able to eat there beside the water, feeling like you're outside. But um, in the two or three times I've eaten there, I've never been blown over by their their food that's the way i felt I, i'm looking at the menu now and i feel like the menu has changed since the last time i was there mm-hmm. maybe that's not true it, it is true i looked at it today and thought the same thing well when they opened the okay. hacienda i think they kind of switched okay but changed. yeah maybe at least my experience in the food the food is good like you know i never had any complaint about it being bad but it's just kind of you know your typical mexican dishes that you can get at the local cinco de mayo or wherever do you find that to be true I do. I, I mean, but I've had it. I was, I was just going to say that to me, if you want traditional American-y Tex-Mex food, go to the Hacienda San Angel, which is the one across the, the street. It's the new table service that's, that's outside the actual pyramid. It's on the water. Because I think this one has more like your steaks, like some fish and like moles and things like, you know, they don't have a lot of the tacos and burritos. Exactly. They don't mention chimichangas. and. But back when we ate there the first time, I think they had chimichangas and those kind of things. Yeah, but that was before Hacienda too. Okay. Well, yeah, now. Kind of mixed up the menus when they opened that one. Yeah, now I'm looking at it and they seem to have more, like you said, more uh, traditional, like the mole, which I never had till I moved to Miami. Mole. It's pretty good. Um Mm. Yeah, I will. I do know what you mean about it being um, your average Mexican restaurant, in a way. It definitely is more expensive than your average. That is Mexican for restaurant. sure the truth. <laughs> yeah. But for me, I'm a little biased because I love Mexican food and I could eat yeah. it any any meal of the day. And so for me, this was kind of a step up from those things, and so I really enjoyed that. I mean, you you have the good chips at the beginning with the different kinds of salsa, which is nice. And then you have food that, like you said, Matt, is maybe um, not completely different from what you'd get at a regular restaurant. But it is a step up, I feel like. Um, But for me, the biggest draw on... Well, actually, no. Going back to the food thing, I mean, if you think about the hibachi grill in Japan, that's just like every other hibachi grill. If you think about Nine Dragons in China, isn't that basically your traditional American Chinese restaurant? Mm -hmm. Yeah, arguably that this is different in the sense of the atmosphere whereas yeah in japan it's hibachi the decor kind of looks like your normal hibachi yeah so i Ooh, would eat cleaner. i would eat elsewhere <laughs> 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 the 
depends on where no, you I go. mean sleek. I don't mean clean like dirty. I mean like <laughs> clean like it's sleek and white now. It's very it's very yeah. clean. Yeah. So in that sense, I would say San Angel is actually a step above those other ones because it tries to do something a little more, tra- a little more, uh, yeah, traditional, which is different from, like you said, the Mexican restaurant down the street. Uh, here's a couple of things I didn't realize they had, and I want to get your initial reaction on this. Uh, some of their drinks, their adult beverages, they have a jalapeno margarita. That sounds spicy. It says. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, they're 100% agave tequila, muddled jalapenos, fresh lime juice, cucumber, and agave nectar, served on the rocks with a hibiscus Himalayan salt rim. That well, doesn't sound appealing to me. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, raw jalapenos will tear you up. <laughs> Just, I mean, <laughs> I mean, and the, the essence of the hotness is in the juice, so you muddle all that stuff up. Yeah. Not to mention like the burn up. of the tequila as well, yeah. you know. Woo. Like, ah! But then here's the other one that strikes me as strange. Because, you know, I've, I've heard of, like, fruity drinks, you know, and those kind of things. They have the blood orange margarita, the passion fruit. But they also have an avocado margarita. Which I love avocados. But I uh, can't imagine going, ooh, yeah, avocado. Like in a drink. Yeah, it's like drinking guacamole, <laughs> yeah. Yes! Oh. Put a little salt rim on that. Yeah. <laughs> Give me some chips. <laughs> That sounds like something you vomit in the parking lot after you've been at the margarita at the Mexican restaurant too long. The the avocados and the salt and the chips. What is that on the ground? That's an avocado margarita. <laughs> Fully intact. Um, no, what you nailed it when you said the thing about the atmosphere. I think it's really the atmosphere that you get when you go to this restaurant. Yes. I love the dark lighting. I love just the, it's just so peaceful in there. Like it can be crazy out in World Showcase with the mariachi band playing, but then you walk in and it's like silence and you hear like the, you know, the lapping of the water where the boats go by. It's so peaceful and serene. Something that's ticking me off about this place is is my typical rant about the way Disney um, table service restaurants are going. And I know that it's the table, it's the dining plan that is to blame. Um, and that is just overcrowding. And this restaurant is a good example. At least recently, they changed the table setup. Um, I don't know if they used to have round tables. For some reason, I remember sitting not in a row. But the way it is now is you have like four seater, four top tables. Um, I mean, like two on each side, not you know one on each side on the square, but a rectangle with two on each side. And they just have them lined up in rows. And they're very close together. So when I went recently, we were on the wall against the waiting area for um, Grand Fiesta Tour. I was on like a kind of booth thing. And then um, with Jarrett or, you know, whoever I was sitting with. And then across this the, the way was, was his two. But it was one of those where you've got a person in the booth like right next to you. And the tables have to be, I mean, there's it's just enough for the waiter waiter or waitress to squeeze in between the tables. And so that's get, that gets on my nerves. But it, the whole table setup is like that now. Yeah, I saw a picture of that and thought that did, that does look different than the two times I've been there, whereas we had plenty of room all the way around our table. Yeah, in fact, I would say our second experience was better than our first because we got a table right by the water. I don't know if you remember that, Jeremy. We were right by the rail where the water was. And... I was throwing chips at the people in the boat. <laughs> yeah. that Here you go. Here you no, go. No, don't do that. That's bad. Don't feed the tourists. <laughs> They won't learn to eat for themselves. <laughs> and, Jeremy, I don't know if you remember this. And I'm a little sad that I do. But our waitress 
was named Mary Lou. Oh, I <laughs> and don't she remember was, that. She was the sweetest. And I don't know if I should mention this, but I'm going to. I remember going home and like looking her up on Facebook. Uh, no. <laughs> Being like, Mary Lou works at Epcot. I never found her. But she was so oh. sweet and so helpful. And I remember this we all like kind of... like a Craigslist misconnection. Mis- <laughs> you were the waitress. I was... Catfish, too. What's, um, what's face in Spanish? Oh, Jeremy... You're failing me right head. now. I know cabeza is head, but I don't know face. You need to not look at Facebook. Look at uh, don't <laughs> Libra, Libra cabeza. <laughs> Libra cabeza. Oh, com. Well, she it took American. a long way to get there, but he got there. She was American. I think she. Well, she was like from. She Texas. was American oh, raised. I mean, she she definitely had Hispanic roots. But oh, okay. I thought they were supposed to be from the country. She was so sweet. Well. uh... This restaurant wins an award in my book, and that is it has the best re- restrooms in all of Epcot. Ooh. They are nice. Yeah. I have been to just about every bathroom in Epcot. This one by far is the cleanest, the quietest, and the best themed and decorated. The sinks are amazing. If you if you know other reason, ask if you can use the bathroom at the uh, the check-in desk, and they'll let you. And uh, go check out the bathrooms. Very nice. We're, mm-hmm. Our next top five list, top five list should be the best bathrooms in Epcot. Next time I'm at Epcot, <laughs> that's a top five list worth having. <laughs> yeah, that's. A, that's a, I'm going to take a selfie in every bathroom in Epcot, <laughs> and then we'll uh, compare while you're doing your business. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy! It's the only way to know authentically if it's a good bathroom or not. The you have to have a urinal it. selfie, urinal selfie, and toilet selfie. Well, I don't use urinals, so uh, we'll we'll double up on that, Matt. You can help me out. That's now that we have veered into the TMI range. Let's <laughs> move on. For this next segment, we're bringing back our Disney debates in what we're calling You Be the Judge. We did this several weeks ago, and we decided it'd be fun if we did it again. And how it works is um, we have three different topics among the three of us that we've chosen to debate each other. And the third person has to decide who wins the debate. And the third person doesn't yet know what we'll be debating. So as we announce our debates, we'll also have to say what we're debating. Um, But I want Jeremy and Matt, you two, to go first. So one of you needs to tell me the topic you're going to debate. And then you're going to (laughs) debate. Well, first... Oh, is that how it works? Okay. uh, (laughs) First, I would like to say that as the 0-2 loser last time, that the debates need to be judged not on the preference of the audience, but on the quality of the debate. Wait, you sound like you're saying that we won based on a bias and not because we actually gave the better debate last time. That's exactly what Jeremy. I mean. Uh, that's wrong. Jeremy. No. Sore loser. Listen, no, 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 no. Uh, the tens and tens Pocahontas, of our listeners. colors of the Space Mountain. <laughs> Race Mountain got more Race love Mountain. than anything. <laughs> Go back and listen to it, kids. When people laugh at it, it doesn't mean they love it. No, I, I, one of our listeners texted me and said he almost ran off the road. He was so impressed with my argument. You give out your phone number to our listeners? <laughs> yeah, yeah, send us an email at Mad Chatters. <laughs> Okay, Matt and I are going to debate. He's going to go first. Our debate is 
which resort is better? All-star music or all-star movies? Ready, go. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) My name is Matthew Price, and I'll be taking the side and defending the all-star music resort. The all-star music resort is... Okay, let's just say it this way. The all-star resorts are value resorts, and as such, they are, let's say they are very highly themed. But they are a very different kind of theme than you will find at your moderate resorts, where you are um, immersed in New Orleans or the American Southwest. Or Objection. The relevance. <laughs> Stop. I, overridden. A point taken away from Jeremy for interrupting. <laughs> at the all-star resorts, the theming is very it's very highly themed because it is very highly tacky and in your face like very larger than life i thought you were supposed to be debating for this resort (laughs) no i'm debating which one is better between two of the evils okay this is the lesser of two evils kind of argument the all-star music resort contains a bit of charm if you are up front towards the lobby in the Calypso building, I can only speak from this because this is where I have stayed before, in the Calypso area or just beyond that in the jazz area, I think you will find the theming there, albeit large and big, is still tasteful. I mean, when you think Calypso, you think big, and they have a big set of marimbas and a big set of maracas, and then there's a nice pool there with the three caballeros in the middle um, uh, with the little water feature. And... It has a nice appeal to it. It's very pretty, lots of palm trees, lots of good music playing, obviously. And then the jazz section, uh, which we three have stayed in before, um, is also very nice and kind of dimly lit. You have the, the little silhouette of the gentleman playing the trumpet. I've not stayed in Broadway or rock and roll or country, but uh, those are nice as well. The great thing about the All-Star Music Resort is the pools one pool is shaped, I think this is the Three Caballeros pool, is shaped like a guitar. I mean, that's just nice. You, you look at it from the overhead, you see a big guitar pool. In that little center area where the, uh, the hole is on the guitar, that's where the Three Caballeros are shooting their little guns. Beyond that, I think beyond the jazz section, is a piano-shaped pool with the keys painted in and everything. So, of the two resorts, I guess I need to argue against the All-Star Movies Resort, too. When you, when you think... Disney movies, okay? Movies I want to be surrounded by themes of. The Love Bug does not come to mind. Mighty Ducks does not come to mind. And unfortunately, those are two of the the prominent buildings for whatever reason. When they decided they're going to make a resort and feature some of Disney's most memorable and magical movies, let's go for The Love Bug and Mighty Ducks. And I just don't think that appeals to many people. Uh, and, and it may be a confusion of genres because you're kind of getting into sports with both of those, are you not? Um, and that, of course, the All-Star Sports Resort is for that. So I, in, in argument's sake, when I recommend people, if they want to stay at a value, I've never stayed at Pop Century. I've never stayed at Art of Animation. When people say they want to stay at a value, I say stay with music all the way. For, and, and lastly, it is the first stop on the bus route when you are getting on and getting off, which is always a big deal for finding room. So, I rest my case. All-Star Music Resort. Well, I will begin my arguments by fact-checking the previous arguments you've heard. First off, All-Star Music is not the first bus stop. 
when you look at a map, which I did. It is the first just an hour ago. It is All Star Sports is your first one, followed by All Star Music, followed by All Star. Is music? I'm sorry. Is music before movies? It is not. I mean, yes, it is. It is before. So music, but it is not the first. The first is sports. But music is before movies. Yes, but we need a definition. Let it go on record that All Star Music. But let it go on record that that Matthew does not understand the word first. Sports, sports is the first bus stop. Sports is the first, correct. Now, which one of us is arguing for the sports resort? Neither, but you just okay. – facts are right. facts. They're stubborn okay. things. Gentlemen, gentlemen, order, order. But here's my argument. Why would you want to be the first bus stop anyways? You want to be the last bus stop in the morning because that allows you to sleep a little later. You don't have to worry about that extra five or ten <laughs> minutes trying to catch the bus because – you're gonna, you don't need to be out there first. The bus comes at uh, 8 o'clock to the All-Star Sports. 8.10, music, 8.20. Look, 20 minutes, you could have been in bed. There it is. I found I'm it, folks. End of the night, you, uh, you know, you're know you getting back. You The bus sort of clears out. It's nothing more magical. Like being the last one in the park, there's nothing more magical than being the last one on the bus. Uh, All-Star Movies is a wonderful resort. Uh, like Matt mentioned... Um, he is correct in that they are overly tacky, and you are very uh, assaulted visually <laughs> by various <laughs> things. However, do you want to stay in an old, fallen-apart resort that was built in 1994? Or would you rather stay in a new, luxurious, and fresh resort that was built in 1999? Well, Movies was made. It was built in 99. It's newer and fresher and better. Think about how the world changed between 94 and 99. Uh, Hulk Hogan went from being a good guy to a bad guy. Um, lots of things like that. Uh, <laughs> just one thing. Just really that one thing happened in 94. That's all I can yeah. remember from those six years. All-Star Movies. Mighty Ducks and Herbie. Matt wants to take out a vicious attack against Herbie the Love Bug. Herbie the Love Bug not only is a classic Disney character, he has had four, five, six films. They don't just make six films off of characters that no one cares about. And not just six films like Air Bud films. I'm talking six theatrically released films. Met one with- starring Lindsay Lohan and uh, is prominently featured in the Lights Camera action show at Hollywood Studios. That's not his fault on, on either account. Not anymore. Wasn't he replaced by Lightning? Yeah, I haven't seen it in six years. I'm sorry. I saw it, you know, one time. Then. But Herbie has a, 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 there's a fan base for Herbie, and I'm sure they enjoy being there and seeing his section. Mighty Ducks. Who of our generation did not grow up dreaming of being a hockey player after watching the Mighty Ducks? I used to get out in the street, and y'all know I don't do sports, and we would do Flying V, you know, and uh, and it's knuckle buck, knuckle puck time. Those are classic <laughs> Classic knuckle buck. That sounds like a Harry <laughs> Potter creature. <laughs> hey, knuckle buck. Classic movie lines. You could just repeat them all over. And again, not a classic movie. Three, three films, all theatrically re- released. It launched the careers of Keenan Thompson. You're welcome, America. Uh, also, speaking of other classic movies, 101 Dalmatians. Doesn't get much more classic than that. Toy Story broke the barriers of uh, CGI, launched Pixar, Woody and Buzz, iconic names in the film industry. You know what? And then... Oh, sorry. I'm not supposed to interrupt. 
I was going to say, that's another thing that happened in between 94 and 99 was Toy Story was released. Well, there you go. Fun fact. Uh, and then Fantasia. I mean, again, when you think Disney, what is more iconic than than Mickey Mouse and the Sorcerer's Apprentice uh, with the hat and the robe and the brooms? You can find all of that at all-star movies. When you, want, when you go on a trip to Disney, you want to be immersed in Disney. All-star music does not offer that. Calypso, what's that? I didn't go to Jamaica. I came to Disney. Broadway, huh? I didn't want to go to New York. Oh, please. But Jeremy, I came to Walt Jeremy Disney World. Jeremy is Broadway. <laughs> I came to Walt <laughs> Disney World. And I want to be immersed in Disney. And All-Star Movies gives me that experience. I rest my case. <laughs> yes. I, I just give you what um, our friend, our good friend Jamie, they stayed at All-Star Movies when they went. And they stayed in Toy Story. Um, they walked around to look at some of the other themes, and I quote Kyra M- Montgomery Bell saying, uh, concerning Herbie, Look, Daddy, a car. <laughs> <laughs> That's what children see when they see the love bug. Oh, my a goodness. car. Yes. Look, Daddy, hockey. <laughs> <laughs> well, Again, all-star sports. I have come to a decision. A ruling, if you will. Um, I just want to point out that, Matt, um, your argument for the bus stop is a good one. Um, And Jeremy, I would think that you're taking the wrong bus if it takes him 20 minutes to get from All-Star Sports to (laughs) All-Star Movies. I mean, wheelchairs are there. Come on. Okay, well, there you go. Point made. Um, Most of the other arguments kind of even out. Uh, Jeremy, Beauty and the Beast is in the Broadway section, so technically there is still Disney there. But, I have to give it to you, your argument about being immersed in Disney is very true. And you don't really get that from the jazz or the... You don't really get that from the Let him finish, let him finish, let him finish. What's the the one with the big marimbas? What's that? Calypso. Um, all those sections, you don't really get the whole Disney feel. And if you're going to a Disney park, I would think you would at least expect some. So, Jeremy gets the victory on this Woo! one. So, so Derek, why don't we? Why don't you stay at that resort? Because they're crap. <laughs> I didn't say, like Jeremy said, I'm not saying music or movies is better. I'm saying Jeremy won the debate. All right. Well, let's let the winner have an, a break for now. And let's let Matthew and I debate. Okay, Jeremy, here's what we're going to debate. We've talked a lot about Disney's Hollywood Studios and how there's the rumor that it might become Disney's Hollywood Adventure. So I am going to debate the fact that it should remain Disney's Hollywood Studios while Matt will debate that it should become Disney's Hollywood Adventure. Mm. Matt, would you like... Which would you like to do? I thought I was... Hollywood Adventure. <laughs> I mean, do you want to go first? Or do oh, you yes, I'll gladly first? go first. Okay. Yeah, I'll gladly go first. You're like, wait a second. We're just now deciding that? <laughs> yeah. It is, it's been a long time, a very, very long time, since uh, any notion of Disney's Hollywood Studios as an actual working studio has has happened and uh, they've tried to make things happen last of all with the disney channel and if anything is the death knell for 
attractions and ideas. It's that you try to wrap in the Disney Channel into them. Like the Disney, Radio Disney, uh, well, that was the Radio Disney, same thing. Radio version of Disney Channel, Riverboat Cruise at Animal Kingdom. That's like the last stop before you die. And we've already been there. <laughs> we have been there with the studio motif. However, if you change and you take on the Disney's Hollywood Adventure... You bring in the same elements of success that have made the California Adventure renovation so wildly popular. You don't have to have the guise and the facade of being a studio anymore. And you don't have to worry about you know, people talking about, this is how we make this in the Indiana Jones stunt show or the Lights, Motors action. You don't have that whole element of trying to make people, force people to understand this is a studio and this is how we make movies and make TV shows. You don't have to worry about any of that. And then you just open up the whole world of movies and adventure for people to come and enjoy as if they were in it themselves. Not watching it being made, not learning how it's made, but really experiencing it and living it for themselves. All based around, as they did with California Adventure, the arrival of Walt Disney to Hollywood and the beginning of his career and the many, many adventures and dreams that he opened us open for us to have through his theme parks. So with the addition of Star Wars, Land, whatever, the Pixar Place expansion, a new Indiana Jones ride, a renovated Hollywood Boulevard and Sunset Boulevard, um, you can just bring in the charm of, you know, early Hollywood, 20s and 30s, as you come into the park and go down Sunset Boulevard. And then you can explore how Hollywood has changed and open the path of adventure for all of us throughout the years. And you're no longer held down to trying to make it what it is no longer. That is a working studio. That's the Lights Motors action. (laughs) Right outside my... I'm actually on site, folks. No. (laughs) It's the Blue Angels. They were saluting my argument. Well, we'll see how they feel about my argument. Ending your argument with a flyover by the Blue Angels is very impressive. With my hands. Disney's Hollywood adventure. Uh, We said no. We said no fanfare and special effects. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Please no fanfare. Is it my turn? It is. Okay. Disney's Hollywood Studios has had studios attached to it for 20 years six years and the park has claimed to be a celebration of movies and music i think even if you get rid of like the behind the scenes this is how movies are made this is how indiana jones is made you can still call it studios because it's been that way for 26 years it is a staple at this point to call it the studios it would be taking away um, a beloved historical fact to not call it studios anymore I mean, Universal Studios, not, I hate to compare it to that, but not all of their attractions are behind-the-scenes looks, and I think no one questions why is it called Universal Studios. Um, Disney California Adventure is not necessarily a nod to movies. I mean, yeah, movies take play a part, but like Paradise Pier is all just like generic rides, kind of, and I kind of don't know where I was going with that argument. <laughs> but... Disney's Hollywood Studios is called that because you could have attractions that are all movie-based and not original ideas like that. 
Um, another thing, if you look at the statue in front of the Chinese theater where there's a, the old-time director with his old-time camera, you have to keep that statue because it's such an icon now, and that um, really fits the studio's name. Um, shows like Indiana Jones, if you wanted to do shows like that, where it's like, this is how we do it, you really could if you kept the studio's name. If you kept that in Hollywood Adventure, it would be like, why is this here? I, I don't get you don't it. keep it. Oh. But if, <laughs> and let's face it, this is Disney. They keep things much longer than they should. Um, also, it sets it apart from other U.S. parks. We already have an adventure park in California. If you call it Hollywood Adventure, it's just going to be confused with California Adventure. I, did you say Hollywood or California? I missed that. <laughs> I don't know which park I'm laughing at my own arguments. I should not be doing that. <laughs> it's a serious argument. Yes. And it needs to be addressed. Finally, it's so handy to be like, I'm going over to the studios. You don't even have to call it by its whole name because it already has a nickname built into it. But what are you going to say? I'm going to go over to Adventure. Adventure Land? Are you talking about? I, I don't know. I guess I better call it Hollywood Adventure, which is like, oh my gosh, I need a food after taking so long to say that. So, in conclusion, <laughs> those really well-built arguments. What I have said is... <laughs> Hollywood Studios forever. Oh my, Wonderful. okay. Um, Thank you. I was reminded of the movie Billy Elliot during that argument, Derek. And uh, when he starts to answer his about the puppy who lost his way. Yes. And, and how the principal at the end says, thank you, you have wasted all of our time. <laughs> we are all dumber now for having you. <laughs> Simply because of the fact that you reminded me of every stubborn Baptist I have ever met by arguing that because it's always been there we should keep it and that's reason enough Yes, I have to give it to Matt his uh, arguments mm. made some better sense better sense than the statue of the man with the camera can only stay if it's <laughs> Hollywood Studios you watch they're going to change it to adventure and that's going to be the first thing they remove and you're going to come crying to me you're yep. right I do have a attachment to that yeah. No, I don't. If you would have said Gertie, Gertie, you would have sold me with but uh, the, the statue man. Yeah, you no. should have hit Gertie. You got to hit straight my heart. for the dinosaur. Just call me Ruth Bader. You know, I just get it right in there. So. Well, I really would love to see a name change, or honestly, if they change a bunch of stuff and keep the name, I'd be okay with that too. But anyway, all right, Jeremy, should we do this? Uh, we should. Why don't you? Exp- yeah, you're pretty confident now after that one. Why don't you explain to him what we decided to do? Okay, um, Derek and I actually took this to the next level as well, Matt. So I hope you're ready, because not only did we decide we're going to pick a Disney film to replace the Pocahontas scene in Fantasmic, but then we mm. even had the added challenge of we assigned each other. The film that they would defend. Are you following me on that? Oh, it's double. Yes. So double sudden death, double death. I don't know. What that is. <laughs> yeah, double death. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so I am going to defend Great Mouse Detective to replace that scene, 
And Derek okay. is going to defend Bolt. Let's hear this atrocity. Okay. So, <sighs> Bolt. If we're going to be replacing Pocahontas, after all of these years, something's finally getting replaced. I feel like at least the movie needs to have been made within the last 10 years. And Bolt fits that bill. Also, Bolt just has so much adventure in it that it just kind of makes sense to go in this section. So here's what I'm imagining. Pocahontas has the canoes, and I would hate to get rid of boats during that segment. So what you're going to do is you're going to have, like, barges kind of platforms that come out, and it's going to be, like, the lighting crew on one, and then the director with his camera and his assistant on another, and then maybe some, like, extra cast. Because, you know, Bolt is there filming this movie, and Penny is the actress, and Bolt is the actor. So they're coming around and filming the set... And then behind them are water screens of the movie they're filming, of like some action scene with Bolt. And it, and then, it, you know, because it's the fake Bolt for a while. I don't know if you remember the plot, but like the real Bolt leaves. Mm-hmm. And so a fake Bolt comes on and does all these scenes with Penny. And so when the scene's done, you see Penny talking about how much she misses the real Bolt. Okay, well, then the fake Bolt knocks over a torch like he does in the movie. And things start going crazy, and it catches fire. So fire comes up from the water. The water screens disappear, and then all these fire things come up. And then now that the water's gone, you can see back on the rockwork behind you that there is like a movie set. And all these things are falling over and crashing. And Penny, a girl playing Penny, is up in the corner. And she's calling out, oh, help me, help me, help me. Okay, so then water screens shoot back up and you see Bolt. Like, it plays, like, really intense music and Bolt is jumping from water screen to water screen. And then as the water screen disappear, the, a real dog runs up the rockwork, kind of like a zigzag up to where Penny is. And everybody shouts because they're like, oh, Bolt. You can just hear the kids now saying, it's Bolt, it's Bolt. And so Penny scoops him up and hugs him and there's fire everywhere. And then he does his super bark And that's how the firefighters know where she is. So firefighters um, down from below spray more water, you know, which is really exciting, water. And then um, the water screens come up with the next scene, which allows them to get off the set and uh, set up for the next scene. So it would be really exciting, and I'm sure they could do it better than what I said, but having a real dog all of a sudden appear, like it looks like he's running towards you from the screen, and then as the water has appeared, he's really there. And it's like, oh, it's bold. I think it'd be really exciting. And then when Penny hugs her, you get the same emotional moment like you do when Pocahontas and John Smith kiss. So it's a perfect replacement, really. Yeah, I don't really kiss, though, do they? Well, no, but she, um, they nuzzle. They don't nuzzle. He's not, they're not even on the same... They're not even on, like, the same side of the mountain. Yeah. He Okay, you must have you must have misunderstood so remember in the movie in the movie he finds her and they're afraid that the firefighters can't get to her so he does his super bark and that's when yeah. the firefighters know where she is so he's on the side with her but at the bottom of the mountain and so he climbs no, up mean, the mountain to her I'm talking about John Smith and Pocahontas oh oh, yeah. oh yeah you're right they just look across at each other longingly Yeah, uh, but I, I enjoyed your argument very, very, very detailed thank you Oh, is it my turn? I fell asleep during that. Oh, my bad. Um, all right. You think you think kids look at Herbie and go, car? What do you think is going to happen when they see Bolt? They're going to say, dog? 
and that's about it. All right, so Great Mouse Detective, not one of the classics, but definitely has its place in Disney history. And if you've seen the the end of Great Mouse Detective, you know it's a very uh, dramatic scene, a lot of action, a lot of uh, the, the builds up, and it's very intense. And it all takes place inside Big Ben, the giant clock in London. And to give you a little background, here's how it's going to happen. All of a sudden, the lights will come on, and it's going to be thundering and lightning and raining, just like in the in the movie. And the music's going to be really intense, and Radigan is going to be standing up at the top of the mountain holding Olivia, the little girl from the film, because that's what happens as well. He kidnaps her, and he's going to be going saying, ha, 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 and she's going to be screaming, help, help, help. But on the mountain, instead of it looking like a mountain, there's going to be giant... Uh, gears and chains and things so it looks like you're in the clock and you'll have a very uh, heavy industrial sound as well so that helps with the intensity of the music and the thunder and the lightning and then all of a sudden basil appears at the bottom of the mountain so basil starts climbing up the gears and it looks dangerous he almost gets crushed in between two of them and they're moving and oh my goodness is he gonna make it and then halfway up the mountain out of nowhere here comes radigan's henchman fidget the bat and they kind of tussle a little bit and uh, fight and it looks like Basil's going to be crushed and Fidget flips off the edge of the mountain and falls to the bottom and then Basil keeps climbing and climbing as the music gets louder and louder and all of a sudden he and Radigan they're fighting at the top and they're fighting and they're fighting and they're fighting and uh, all of a sudden at the climax Radigan falls off the mountain from the very top all the way to the bottom and with the giant cannon that makes the boom we get the same kind of a boom to show that he's died and exploded and um, as that happens the clock starts yeah. to strike midnight and you hear the dong 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 and uh, Basil scoops up Olivia in her arms and the music changes and everybody cheers because she has been saved and the great mouse detective reigns supreme. Oh my. <laughs> if we're counting for gestures and arm movements alone, then you definitely won that. Yeah. Oh, I forgot Jeremy that this wins. is not on. Well, uh, listening to the ideas as you introduced them, I, I have to admit, I already had a, a, a preference for one over the other, naturally. But uh, I think that the arguments played themselves out in such a way where Derek's was not so good and, <laughs> and, Jeremy's, and Jeremy's was uh, a little better. <laughs> no, no, I think that a, a, a kind of a throwback retro great mouse detective segment would be fabulous for something at Walt Disney World. But, I, no, no, that's my preference. But, um, argument itself, the idea itself works better than the, the thing, the several things that, that Derek was... <laughs> but there's a dog, Matt! There's a real... I, you don't understand. Let me start again. Okay, so these boats come across. No, 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 you lost. You it lost. looks like it's running at you and the screen goes down and he's actually running up the mountain. You get it. Uh... uh Anybody All I gotta say is Seabolt. Yeah, I saw it with you in the theater. Yeah, I, oh, that's right. Yeah, we God. saw it in the theater. You yeah, cried like, and you rested your head on my shoulder, and I said, "They're there." I liked it, but oh, I liked it better when it was Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> no, 
It's the same story. No. Are you kidding? <laughs> uh, well, it is kind of, yeah. He thinks it's real, it's not, he discovers it is. I mean, I, yeah, I get what you're depressed. saying, but it's definitely drawn out more. But then he's in a real adventure, after all. There you go. And he but, learns to make friends with people he would never make friends with, like a, the gerbil. Are you saying that I that I won? That's the most important. Let's go back to that. You did win, yes. That, <laughs> that argument won. Folks, it, it works much better than, than the scenario. Call the neighbors, wake the kids. He went from 0-2 last Why? time to 2-0 and this time. The great debating champion, the master debater, Mad Chatter Jeremy! Steve. Steve's here. Well, I just wish Matt had chosen based on the argument and not on the actual content. Those were horrible, horrible debates. Yeah. <laughs> and you're lucky, Derek, because I almost gave you Chicken Little instead of uh, Bolt. Oh, I've never say, seen if that. If y'all assigned things to each other, if y'all yeah. assigned things to each other, I would have been much more cruel. It would have been like Parent Trap. <laughs> <laughs> Do something with that. Yeah. <laughs> She's on the mountain singing, let's get together. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, we could have made we could have made it work. Have no fear. Seems like my mind has been changed for me. No. Nice ruling. Or two ago, we started this series where we talk about the animated films made by Walt Disney Studios and talked about their presence in Walt Disney World and Disneyland. This time, we get to the 1960s, and believe it or not, only three films were made during that decade by Disney. So, we are a little bit light on Disney World presence, but... We will go ahead and continue our series, and this time we come to 1961 and the release of 101 Dalmatians. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I think Disney World and I think 101 Dalmatians, all I really think, for the most part, is Cruella de Vil and how she, as far as characters go, definitely has the most representation across the board when it comes to the parks. Yeah, and I don't know, I don't really know why. People like her as a villain, and maybe it was because... And really, it was really after the, um, that was a lot of reallys. It was after the live-action reincarnation of this film in 1996, right? Somewhere around there, yeah. I think it was yeah. after that and the Glenn Close adaptation of Cruella DeVille that she became, you know, pretty popular. I mean, maybe she was before that. I don't know. I remember it becoming a big thing after that. She was in the Macy's Parade, and she became kind of one of the, the villains on, like, the, you know, the line of villains. Yeah, I think I think she's uh, lasting because up until that time she really is a turning point in villains, where the villains before are very elegant, fanciful. No, but even well, elegant I guess, but even more like witches and those kind of things. Yeah. And she doesn't have any magical powers, or she's not anything like that. She's just an average, mean-spirited woman, almost the kind of woman that you could meet in your average everyday life. Yeah. Uh, she has that sort of quality, but she still has this larger than life personality yeah and i think that's what draws people to her as well this is the first time you saw a villain villain like that interesting thing mark davis was the animator for uh and character developer for corella and when we were at the walt disney family museum last year we 
saw a special exhibit dedicated to his artwork and that featured her. And one of the things I learned was she was based off of an old Hollywood uh, actress who um, I really like named Tallulah Bankhead. And Tallulah Bankhead, her famous saying was she would always say darling. And so that's why Corella says darling all the time. Very interesting. Yeah, so, uh, I think you're right. And one last word about Cruella Deville. I don't. Um, it, her, as far as her presence in the parks, I get praise the Sorry, Lord. There's a mosquito in my, Jeremy, in my office. You just got really excited about Cruella Deville. Yes, Cruella. She, she has made her way into the. Um, what would you call it? The 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 villains. What do they call it? The gallery hall of fame. Oh, I'm thinking the Batman, the Rogue Gallery, but the same kind of thing. It's the villains, the gallery of Disney villains. You know, with up there with Maleficent and the Wicked Queen and um, Satan from the Night on Bald Mountain, um, and and things like that. She she's always included in that little that little group of of the most famous villains. I don't really like her as a villain. I don't. This whole movie for me is kind of a flop. To oh, me. I love this movie, oh, really Matt. Because when I was a kid, we when I was a kid, this goes back to the days with VHS, and you know, I think this is illegal, and Disney may come after me, but that's okay. Um, you know, like if you didn't have the VHS at your house, you could take a blank tape to somebody else's house and record it on there. Yeah. And we had a friend that we didn't own. Hey, you know that whole thing at the beginning, like the like the five different screens that come up with the, the FBI, FBI and all that. Yeah, that means yeah. you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we had a blank tape and we had on there Little Mermaid, Pinocchio, and 101 Dalmatians. And we watched the fire out of that thing. I and, actually uh, got so the VHS Dalmat- 101 Dalmatians in my, um, in my Easter basket one year. Oh, well, there you go. And that was really odd because my Easter basket was typically just candy. And this was like, well, wow, there's a videotape. That's the latest Diamond release from Disney Blu-ray. So I have a copy of that. And I love it still. Even as an adult, I think it's great. Yeah, maybe I need to revisit it. I think you should. Yeah. But Cruella DeVille, how do you feel about her character at the parks? Because it's a face character, whereas like Captain Hook is not. She always looks just kind of cheap to me, like just some lady with the fur coat on. It's like, okay, I mean that's what she is. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but 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 usually the character at least has some personality. The person yeah. playing her does a good job. Whatever they lack in costuming, she they can make does up. She with ever it. have her little cigarette thing in the parks? Huh. I don't think so. Probably you not. Know, that's yeah. very controversial these days. Um, but when Derek and I met her a few years ago at the um, Halloween party villains mix and mingle yeah and i was wearing an underdog shirt and i i didn't even think about it and i walked up and she goes underdog clever <laughs> and i was like oh <laughs> hey you know so she was a lot of fun um i mean she can read shirts <laughs> i don't know if that means she's a lot <laughs> yeah of fun. but i mean she played with the idea of puppies dogs right yes it's better than captain hook not saying anything at all and just <laughs> animiming you know <laughs> with his giant head. Like accidentally attacking you with his hook. <laughs> um, the only other reference I can think to this movie is the All-Star Movies Resort with the giant Dalmatians. Is oh, there? Yes. Okay, well, let's talk about that for a second. There is a fantastic photo op in that part of All-Star Movies where it shows one of the puppies watching TV. You know how they watch cartoons and commercials in the movie? And the TV is like an open screen to where you can stand behind it and it looks like you're in the TV. 
I think that is the most adorable thing because I love those little puppies watching TV. I'm hungry, um, mother. This is it's the giant Pongo on one side and Purdy, is that her name? Perdita. Perdita on the other side, right? Sure. Like at, at that section of the hotel, yeah, they're, yeah. they're the giant icons, Pongo and Perdita. Yes, I think And they don't right. just watch any cartoons, Derek. They watch Thunderbolts. Yes. And Canine Crunchies. Canine Crunchies can't beep beep. <laughs> <laughs> I think the reason I don't like this movie is because, and I don't really care about its presence in the parks, is because, although a, a tremendous dark ride just came to my imagination. See, I was thinking <laughs> the same thing. This would make a great dark ride because yeah, the would. whole scene of them trying to get the puppies. Or, oh, you, you have know, cars out. in London at night and mm. Horace and Jasper are, you know, doing their little thing. And then the canine chain or whatever that, that was in yeah. the film where they barking and trying to get the puppy. Remember when they have to, they get in the soot and make them look yeah. darker and then the mm -hmm. snow starts falling. That would be a great dark ride and you're trying to get away from horse. But back to my complaining. Let's go back to my complaining. That's okay. what I do. We always go back to that. Um, okay. Yeah. My complaining about this movie is it steers, it, it was very new for Disney in the early 60s. All them, Mostly they've done, like you said, fantastical fairy tale stories, things like that up to this point. And I can't think of one they've done to this point that has been set in, well, like Lady and the Tramp was, I guess. Mm -hmm. It was very real world, realistic. This felt very contemporary. and Well, and it felt that way because this was one of the first films as well to, to use the Xerox uh, technology that they didn't have the necessarily the trace of the animators. And when you watch it, you notice a lot of the... The it wasn't clean. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and whole, and I think this that's whole what decade is like that, and the seventies yeah. too, because the, you know instead of transferring and, and copying what the animators had had drawn, they were able to photocopy them, and so it kept all the extra sketch lines and things that pop up, and yeah, so it gave it the, the character film, of the film. Yeah, but yes. it, gave, it definitely yeah. gave it a different feel as well. Yeah, it gave it a very uh, not abstract because there's clear pictures. It gave it a very modernist feel. Yeah, gritty, real, and also. Um, just the feel of the setting. I mean, it was set in 20th century London, you know, mm -hmm. with the and there was TVs and all that stuff. The same with the music. How it's a, it's not like it doesn't feel like a a musical music. It's very natural music that he's yeah. just he's a songwriter and he's writing these songs that are, a, you know, current in that time. You do and hear the fabulous, and I mean that in a very sarcastic way, remix of Cruella Deville sometimes. Waiting for Fantasmic. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say, Corella Deville is yeah. definitely one of those songs, too, that probably, as far as outside the Disney universe, has more of a lasting appeal. Oh, yeah. You know, you can go to, you know, it's really become kind of like a jazz standard in American music in, in many ways. So. so why don't you think it has more presence? I mean, I'm thinking even Animal Kingdom, come meet a Dalmatian, you know? I mean, is that illegal? Can you have Dalmatians? <laughs> I don't know, it just feels weird to have a dog. But. It doesn't present itself as an attraction. I mean, unless you're thinking in that dark. I don't know why. It's one of yeah, those, because, like, yeah, what would you do with it? Yeah. Even if you had a dark ride, where would you put it? Because it doesn't really fit the Fantasyland feel. That's true. In the and UK at Epcot. Yes. That's a possibility. But is it a, is it in the UK, though? Yeah. Is it London? Because none of them speak with British accents. Horace and Jasper are clearly English. Aren't they Cockney? Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. I'm going to look like, it up Corella's as we not. speak. No, she's and, and not. And Roger isn't. And she's a crude American. 
I always thought, like, when I was a kid, I used to have these, like, you know how, like, when characters sort of look similar, so you, like, think they're the same ones in the movies? Are connected? Am I the only one that did that? Maybe like Robin Hood and Blue. You know how okay. uh, like the same bears, so you yeah, think there's yeah, connection. Yeah. The housekeeper in 101 Dalmatians is like the old short woman kind of a thing. Yeah, and she looks like Mrs. Potts once yes. they come back to being human. You're so and I right. was convinced. I was like, that's Mrs. Potts. She went and worked then for the 101 Dalmatians people after the Beast Fire. Right, she did <laughs> from London to France. Well, speaking of films that don't have a lot of presence in the parks, let's move on to our next one, which is 1960s, 1963's The Sword in the Stone. Mm. Now, quick, name all the references you can think of of The Sword in the Stone at Disney World. The Sword in the Stone. Yes. <laughs> yep. Hey, but look, we're forgetting a big one that has recently popped up. Now, now first of all, for reference, The Sword in the Stone in front of the uh, Prince Philip's Regal... Prince, Prince Philip's? Charming. Prince Charming's Regal Carousel. Yeah, wrong prince, wrong movie. And it's not possessive either. Prince Charming Regal Carousel. Oh, yeah, like Disney Animal Kingdom. They went through that phase for a little while there. Um, It's right in front of that carousel at the Magic Kingdom, right through the gates of the castle when you enter into Fantasyland. And they used to have the live-action show there. I mean, like, we're talking, you know, like, 10-minute show where a a face character, Merlin, actually came out, interacted with the audience, um, you know, kind of pulled several adults up to try to pull the sword from the stone, you know, that King Arthur does in the movie that makes him king. Um, and, of course, none of the adults can do it, but then he tr- finds a kid to come up and do it, and the kid magically can pull it up, except it only pulls up, like, halfway. Right, well, he's not going to run off with it. Kid, come back! And then everybody's like, yay, yeah, chop his head off or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it was, I don't Suddenly know why it turns into Game of Thrones in the yeah. middle of the Magic Kingdom. I don't know why they don't do it anymore. They, 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 they had the same thing at Disneyland, correct? Yes, Did they, they still did. do it at Disneyland? No, they don't. It lasted actually longer at Disney World than it did Disneyland. I always remembered on the old, um, you know, the little sing-along VHS tapes from Disney. Yeah. The uh, fun at Disneyland one. When they were singing one of the songs, one of the images they showed was that scene taking place, the pulling the sword from the stone in front of the carousel. Well, you're going to love this, Matt. Do you know one of our Disney... I was going to just mock you for saying this, but yes, go ahead. (laughs) One of our dear friends that we love, who has written a blog about his experience as playing Merlin for this Sword in the Stone show, was Jim Corcus. Yes. I read that just today. Yeah. Which, it's uh, going back to the film, though, not one of Disney's best films, but definitely underrated. I love Sword in the Stone. I always have. I didn't love it. I think a lot of people, it skips their mind. But it's interesting because Merlin definitely has more, or at least he did, have more of a presence in the Disney world well, universe, whatever, uh, than what you would think. (laughs) Uh, He has a big part now. Well, because I can remember as a kid, like the Disney sing-along films and, excuse me, some of the educational films. Oh, yes, he was the intro. Yeah, he would be there with the owl, you know, not the owl from the film. Oh, it wasn't that owl. It was a different owl. You're right. The educational owl or whatever, but Merlin would be in some of those. uh, um, Archimedes is one of my favorite Disney characters of all time. Wow. I mean, he's just hilarious. I mean, I can't think of the line. What are the lines he says? Um, there's one me and my friend Tanner always used to say to each other. I don't remember. Obviously, it was very important to me. Merlin <laughs> now has 
Merlin now has a very large part in the Magic Kingdom that it, I only thought of thinking about this, and that is that he is kind of, isn't he kind of the MC for Sorcerers of Magic Kingdom? Magic Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is. Yeah, MC. I mean, he's the guy that's like appears on all of them, right? He's like I believe coach. so. You join Merlin's elite squadron of apprentice sorcerers using Merlin's mystical map. You embark on missions throughout Magic Kingdom. Oh, there you go. That's straight from the website, if you couldn't tell. Uh-huh. Yeah. I can tell. It only makes sense because the Arthurian legends are timeless in a sense that everybody kind of knows them and, and likes them. You know, there's several shows and things. So why wouldn't Disney want to tap into that uh you know that wizardy that kind of a world especially when you have harry potter being so popular right now and you got dumbledore i think merlin is on on level with 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 dumbledore and i love dumbledore so he's a little go. quirky merlin's yeah, absent-minded I mean, quirky yeah the disney version is but i mean still that that lovable you know old professor kind of feel. it is a movie that lacks um it doesn't lack a villain. It lacks a central antagonist. I mean, you have Mad Madam Mim, who like appears for you know like, and she's ten more minutes. comical than she. Yeah, is. she's just an, a nuisance, really. <laughs> well, and the sword in the stone doesn't really play a big role until the very, very end of the film. I mean, I realize that that's kind of behind the scenes, and you know it's yeah. there the whole movie. But I was like, where's the sword? Where's the stone? I. <laughs> 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 Why is he a squirrel for 20 minutes and then a fish for 20 minutes? And then, oh, there's the sword. We forgot the Up end. Down, round and round. That's what makes the world go round. That's a great song. Derek also felt the same way when he watched Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yes. Where's the tigers? Where's, where's the, the dragon? Where's the crouching tiger? Where's the oh, crouching? Where are the English speaking people? Crouching. Oh, it's hoo hoo. Archimedes. He says, hoo hoo, what what? I say that all the time. Hoo hoo, what what? I told you that. Hoo hoo. <laughs> what what? Um, this film would be a good live-action film to make. All right. Yeah. I can see yeah. that. It's called A Kid in King Arthur's Court. We've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, I, I will post a link to that blog because it was kind of interesting because he even put the whole script that he had to say when they did that 10-minute show. And mm-hmm. he talked about that. What I thought was interesting, he talked about the fact that before choosing which child would come forward, he made a few, like, punny jokes so that way he could kind of tell who spoke good English, and then he would pick those people, because otherwise they w- wouldn't really get what he was trying to get them to do. Oh, yeah. True, true, true. Yeah, and then if they were able to pull it halfway up, like you said, Matt, then they would. Then he would say, well, it took so long to find someone that now your reign is over, but here's he would give them a medallion and then a certificate that said they were ruler. Um, so, and he actually had two medallions handy just in case, like the lanyard broke or the sibling was like, "I want one too." He always oh, had to say, yes. in case. But what, one thing I found that was interesting was I looked up the quote from the movie, and it says, "Whoso pulleth out the sword of this stone and anvil is rightwise king born of England." Well, the anvil or the yeah the anvils that are in Disney World and Disneyland say, "Whoso pulleth out the sword, blah blah blah, is rightwise ruler, not king." Yes. And so I guess that's so boys and girls can both feel boys like they're girls. special. They can be a ruler. Because Merlin, like if a girl came forward, Merlin could like swat away her hand and be like, don't you dare, this is for kids yeah. only. Sorry, you were born the wrong gender. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing, I think we talked about the magic shop that used to be in Disneyland. I know we talked about the store that sold organs, like the musical kind. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Not hearts. Uh, black, black market 
kidneys. <laughs> there, there used to be a very popular magic shop that uh, there were, you know, the workers would do tricks for you and try to sell you those and be like, okay, now you can buy this trick for nine ninety nine or whatever. Well, it was called Merlin's Magic Shop, which is appropriate. <laughs> but of course, that's long gone. Do you know which famous comedian worked in that magic shop at Disneyland before he became big? Milton Berle. Steve Martin. Steve Martin is correct. Very Ah, good. I thought I'd heard that somewhere before. Yeah, very good. I think Milton Berle was dead by the 60s. I I couldn't tell you. (laughs) Didn't he create Monopoly? What? (laughs) Milton Bradley. Keep up. Oh, uh, yes. Waka waka. Yeah. Well, did you guys have anything else? I mean, I feel like we shortchanged the movie, but if Disney World's going to shortchange him, then we don't really have a lot to no, say. No, uh, even, even as I'm looking up, when I reference uh, or research, you know, uh, Sword and Stone references in the parks, the only thing that they even, uh, most of the people even recognize is the sword in the stone in front of the carousel. Yeah. And maybe, that, maybe they were written before the Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom made him such a vital part of of that yeah well even merlin was the only character ever that you could meet in the parks from this film did you say merlin <laughs> merlin hello merlin merlin i'm sorry <laughs> oh, my word. that old drag queen merlin you know <laughs> i meant merlin anyway yes no other characters have been able to you, you haven't been able to meet any of them ever which i thought was kind of interesting who would want to meet, like, Arthur, the boy? <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, the the owl would be kind of funny. I, you think, I'm thinking, like, you know, a, a Dreamfinder figment kind of Merlin. Merlin. I just said Merlin. <laughs> Merlin and Archimedes. Uh, that would be a funny little meet. Yeah, you're right. That would be cool. Yeah. Listen, if they rebooted this film, I think it, as a live action, it would spark interest in the animated. So there you, there go, you go. There's your next live action. I'm pointing yeah. at my microphone like that's where they are. <laughs> okay, well, I will send this podcast directly to Disney when it's done. Right to Michael Eisner. He, he is not in charge. But before I can do that, let's get to the final film of the 1960s. I think we're going to have more to talk about with this one. But this was The Jungle Book in 1967. Is it First of all, is there a reason that you all can think of why they just dropped off the face of the earth with animated movies in the 60s? Were they just really trying their hand at live action, Vietnam, Korea? What was going on? You have the 1960s is a big time for the company as far as you have the parks are starting to take off. Disneyland is already kind of, you know, five years, five to ten years in. Um, Walt is already thinking about the Florida project at this point, particularly Epcot and his vision of what Epcot should be. You also have to remember 1964, you have the World's Fair is happening as well. So a lot of energy and effort is going towards that and the attractions that are being put in there. Then on the other hand, 64, 64, 65, you have um, Mary Poppins. Oh, my word. Which is the mixture of the animation and the live action. And that was really a Yeah, that was his big deal the whole time, wasn't it? So unfortunately, animation really kind of got put on the back burner. Uh, But I think that they always remembered that animation was their bread and butter. I don't think that any – I'm looking at the list of films in the 60s. No other decade – could possibly have this many live action films. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like a new thing. For I them. mean, good grief. What was the biggest one besides Mary Poppins in 64? 
64? No, I just mean in that whole decade, there was Mary Poppins in 64, but what was another one that's... I mean, the big big ones, quote-unquote, not as not as big as that, obviously, but sort, certainly tied to Disney. Um, Pollyanna. Mm. The Happiest Millionaire. The Parent the Trap. I, I was thinking Parent Trap. Son of Flubber. Summer, Summer Magic. Summer Magic. When was 20,000 Leagues? That's the 50s. 53, okay. I think. Okay. One of the first. Um, but also, you have to remember... We just passed another important thing that happened in the company, as sad as it is, and Walt died in 66. And so um, Jungle Book is really the last film that his fingerprints are on, and there was a lot of uh, doubt in the company that not only animation, but the whole company would be able to continue on without him. Um, So the fact that Jungle Book was a success really helped to, I think, keep the company going. Had it bombed? Who knows where you know what would have happened? Yeah, well, let's talk about it for a second. Okay, a few weeks ago when we were talking about Animal Kingdom and its opening year, we talked about Journey into the Jungle Book, which was that stage show that was there before Tarzan Rocks, which was there before Finding Nemo. I kind of minus wish... the definite article for some reason. Oh, Journey into Jungle Book. Yeah, I don't uh, know why. I always thought that was stupid, but yeah, that's that's, that's why it ended. Honestly, I, you just can't come back from that. Yeah, people. Joe Rody planned that because he knew that. that... Right in Indian, in in in, in um, Lord, not Indian, in Hindi, they they don't have the definite article. You mm. see, mm-hmm. and everyone knows that, so they're wowed by how authentic it is. No matter how much the show itself sucks. I was gonna say they were Joe... so wowed that it closed within just a few years of opening. Joe <laughs> Rody, if you're listening to this, I'm a fan. Matt's a hater. I'm a fan. Don't judge the match hatters based on his opinion, please. I do kind of wish I could go back and watch that show because, it, like we said, it was 30 minutes long. It was just the whole movie condensed. It had to have been a mess. Many strange legends are told of these jungles in India, but not as strange as the story of a young boy named Mowgli. It all began when the silence of the jungle was broken by an unfamiliar sound. It was a sound like one never heard before in this part of the jungle. It was a man-cub. Had I known how deeply I was to be involved, I would have obeyed my first impulse and walked away. This man-cub would have to have nourishment, and soon, without a mother's care, he would soon perish. And then it occurred to me. A family of wolves I knew had been blessed with a litter of cubs. But let's jump forward to 2015. For me, I don't know about you guys, for me the first thing I think about is the Blue and Louie meet and greet. Like you always see them somewhere in Animal Kingdom. Yeah. Sometimes it's even outside the gates. Yeah. Yeah, they uh, were meeting there in the back when you have that path between Africa and Asia. Uh, there was a little character stop there. You could meet and greet them um, right there. I don't know if they're still there anymore with the expansion or not. I'm sure they're in that park somewhere. Yeah, they are because that boat dock is, um, that little boat dock where they were meeting, they, actually, I know what you're saying. They used to meet up on that little, that little itty-bitty little trail that went around the main Yeah, there was, there was a pavilion up when there. When Jessica and I went, after they started the construction on the Harambe Village Marketplace thing, they had moved them into the old Discovery River boat, boat station. So that's where they were when we went. I think that's where they still are. But uh, yeah, they're all they're always there or somewhere around Animal Kingdom. But beyond um, just their just the character presence there, 
I think there's a lot of sneaky Jungle Book references. Well, there. Hold on, but they're also, as far as character sightings go in the park, they're also in the Move It, Shake It, Celebrate It, or at least they were when it first came out. Oh yeah. Uh, they're both of them. So it's it is kind of interesting that they they really are as far as like actual characters in the park that you can meet and greet or see in shows. They're usually always around. They're, mm-hmm, they're pretty yeah. prominent after the top five. So. I guess that says a lot about their... When I was little, King Louie was one of my favorite characters. And he kind of still is. He's got that... And it's the guy that, um, you know, Louie Prima, the guy that did the voice for him. And it really just took on his personality, the kind of band swing leader. His name is Louie? Yeah. Yeah. Louie Prima. Did not know that. And, um, yeah, hearing the stories about how they they composed and actually performed that song, um, I Want to Be Like You, which is, uh, you know, classic... Disney song. One of my favorites. You know, they went into their little improv for about a minute there, and all all those stories are fabulous. They were marching around the studio playing it like they were in the actual movie. Mm. Uh, those are great Disney and stories. And how, um, what's his name that did Baloo? Like, Johnson? Was, Johnson, I think, maybe. I can't remember, but uh, somebody looked that up. But how um, when King Louie was doing the scatting, and he just like it was impromptu and he just decided to do it back you know and, <laughs> oh and then get, get mad baby yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, in the moment just go for it <laughs> was it sebastian cabot no, no just kidding phil harris phil, phil harris, harris that's, that's it. it yeah that's a great song um in fact they do that song at mickey and the magical map the show yes. at disneyland and they, they, they also have, have articulated a, character there from the yes, movie. his mouth moves, yeah. And they also have a big presence in the Sensational Parade at Disneyland. So I don't know why they get more love over there than they do in Disney World. And where we at Disney World have the just can't wait to be king jungly segment of our Fantasmic, Disneyland has the Ka um, snake, correct? Oh, yes. I remember the snake, yeah. Yeah, the... Which is, it's very similar to our Jafar snake that happens at the end, but it's earlier. It's where our jungle segment is, where the animals are doing their thing. Theirs is the Ka looking around like Jafar looks around, that snake character. Mm -hmm. You know what? I think the Jungle Book would make a great replacement for something in Philhar Magic. Like, if they were to update that, I think it could easily replace it with Bare Necessities or I Want to Be Like You. I have always, really, everybody's going to hate this. You're going to hate this. <laughs> I have always, since I was a child, thought, why don't they make the Jungle Cruise the Jungle Book? Like oh, they, People would hate that. Oh, they would hate that, but that would be a great, a great little ride. Like There's a, just Mowgli a, in his tan bodysuit. Just a different kind of dark ride. It's not really dark. It's outside. It's a boat, but you've got the animatronics and the stories, and I think that would be fabulous. Mm. I, I'm going to pass on that as well. Um, You're not, they you also, don't have imagination. I am just remembered it, but what is the resort that has the giant... Pop Century. Pop Century. He is holding hands with Mowgli. Yes. <laughs> See, this is, this is all those values are so weird. They just overlap so much, you know? Yeah, it's just like, oh, the Jungle Book was in the 60s. Yeah, throw that in there. Yeah. <laughs> it was probably an art concept for all-star movies, and they're like, I always don't have a room. And then when they built Pop Century, this is perfect. We can bring back yeah, the giant balloon. We can use it here. We got this 30-foot balloon in the back. Go ahead and put that up in there. 
Bare Necessities kind of has lasting... I don't know, which one would you think is more recognizable? I want to be like you or the Bare Necessities. They're kind of equal. I think they're kind of equal. I think it's the Vulture song. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the quartet. Where your friends. When I was little, I always friends. I always fast-forwarded through that point because I didn't like them. Oh, yeah. they were annoying. It's all rainy and gloomy. But do you know, I mean, obviously, who they're modeled after is... The Beatles. The Dapper Dans. Oh. But originally, the song had a Beatles um, style to it. Yeah. But they opted against it because they wanted it to be timeless and not limited to a certain period. So that's why they went with more barbershop. But the haircuts. Yeah. The haircuts still remained. Yeah. And arguably, they are timeless as well. Yeah. <laughs> now, what I find fun about Jungle Book references is how they overlap with um, Tailspin references, uh, which obviously yeah. used Louie, uh, Baloo. Yeah. Uh, Shere Khan was, you know, the corporate executive guy in the uh, the the metal jungle. Oh, see what I did there? And then, uh, <laughs> the oh, that was really the only jungle. character. She had other characters in and out, but they, of course, had their moment in the parks back in the early '90s when Mickey's uh, Starland hosted the Disney Afternoon Show and featured a lot. And they had the Disney Afternoon Parade, which uh -huh. featured um, which featured the jungle, the, the Tailspin slash Jungle Book characters. Which, again, is just Baloo with a jacket and a hat on. Who's made friends with Louie, who's now a Hawaiian shirt-wearing bartender. Hawaiian shirt, yeah. So, why they can't bring those out every now and then, just put the jacket uh, yeah, on, Baloo. Just put the jacket on. Can we just have a picture? Just one picture. Oh, just one. That's all I want. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, I think that about does it for the films of the 60s and where you can find them in the parks. Answer is... Hey, and if Nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a lot of love for the 60s films. If you thought the 60s were bad, wait for the 70s. Uh-oh. <laughs> that is a great tease. You'll have to stay tuned for our next episode in this series. But until then, if there's anything we've missed, go ahead and send those answers or send those pictures or whatever you've got over to comments at madchatters.net. Or you can just send it to us on Twitter at madchatters or on Facebook. I think that about does it. So I'm going to wrap it up here and say we will see you next week. Take a little time to find the magic in every day. And he starts running and climbing up the gears, and it looks like he's going to get crushed. And Matt just left. Are you there, Matt? <laughs> This I is... don't know why I did that. Okay. <laughs> He's like, this is stupid. I had my <laughs> microphone. I'm out. I'm <laughs> Continue. Oh, there you are. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>